Hour three of the People's Show live on location today. The Kintec studio going portable today. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott-Wolf on location today for Jay's Care, supporting Challenger Baseball. Fantastic event every year. Supporting and empowering children, youth, and adults uh, living with physical and or cognitive disabilities. Uh, Challenger Baseball, fantastic program in support with uh, Little League Canada and Baseball Canada. Uh, we are on hand today till 3 o'clock. Events going much later. Hopefully raising a bunch of dollars to support the program, which does so much. And again, last year, uh, helping... Over 9,000 children, youth, and adults across the Canada help uh, participating in Challenger baseball programs. Uh, you can get involved as well. More details online. Uh, if you log on, jayscaregolf.ca. Uh, go to the uh, Celebrity Golf Classic. You can get all the details on Challenger baseball. Support a great cause. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we're here again till 3 o'clock. Uh, and then uh, the people golfing. Yeah. Going to be doing it for a while. Maybe until 6, I heard. Yeah. It's a long day. It's a long day when there's that many groups out on the course as well. But, again, all for a good cause. That many groups means there's that many people supporting the cause. Exactly. Which is exactly what we want to see. Uh, but we got uh, plenty to get to uh, throughout the course of the show. Let's uh, connect uh, via the phone, not by tableside right now. Uh, but we had a chance to talk to Zach Lang, who joins us now from uh, Jay's Nation, Oilers Nation as well, Nation Network. Uh, Zach, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, thanks. I'm doing good. You know, I'm mad at many faces, so I uh, have to be hopping <laughs> on with you guys. Absolutely. We want to talk about the uh, the Jays season. We're actually talking with uh, uh, former Jay player, uh, Lloyd Mosby, and we're just talking about, like, the season as it's going for the Jays. And, yeah, here they are, you know, in that uh, 10 to 12 games above 500 range. And relative to the expectations, I think there's a lot of, like, scorned fans. Like, this isn't really what we wanted to see this year. And yet you can still look at it and say a lot of things haven't worked out and they're five games back of the AL East. Well, absolutely. And I think even on top of that, too, if you look at, you know, I think over the last two months, the Jays have actually had the best record in the entire American League, which is kind of crazy to think about because, you know, you sit there and you watch the games and you see some of these games like the, the collapse they had against the Dodgers here over the uh, the last couple of days. And you're like, wow, how is this team like going to go anywhere this season? Um, but when you kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture, you know, this is a club that's kind of right where they're supposed to be right now. And I think, you know, this is a great opportunity here for them uh, right now and over the next month or so to, to really kind of make some moves in the AL East. Is this a team that when you look at when it, when it comes to the playoffs, can they turn it on when they get to the playoffs? Or do, do you think this is kind of going to be the same theme we're going to see where, yeah, they, yeah they're good, but they, they have these momentary lapses? Well, it's a million-dollar question, right? I mean, I, I, I would love to be able to sit there and answer that today. But, you know, you, you sit there and you look at what happened last year against the Mariners, right? You know, Alec Manoa, he's still young. There was a collapse of the bullpen in, in Game 2, um, you know, this is still a Jays team that's still at its core pretty young, right? You know, you even look at some of their biggest names, like guys like Bo Bichette and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 
these are guys that are still kind of trying to find their way in the big leagues. You know, we've seen Vladdy be, you know, relatively inconsistent at times, especially this season here. Um, you know, a guy like Bo Bichette too, he had turned it on really well for, you know, the first half of the season and then coming out of the all-star break him as well as a guy like George Springer, you know, really kind of found their struggles. And of course, both of them sat this week uh, for, for some of the games. And, and, you know, you look what they did last night, and that was just a, a tremendous team performance. So, you know, the hope is, of course, that, you know, this is a team that, um, you know, will be able to turn it on at the right time. Now, that being said, you know, heading looking ahead to the playoffs, if the Jays make it, which they should do, you know, you, you've got a guy like Kevin Gosman who can go game one and another veteran, a guy like Chris Bassett, who can go game two. And same thing with Bassett. You know, you look at the way this guy has kind of turned his season around here. You know, he was calling his pitches for so much of the year. And then since he stepped away from that, I, I'd have to crunch the numbers. But he, he looked absolutely tremendous since then. So, um, you know, you've got to just hope that this is a team that can turn it on at the right time. I feel like it's a, a familiar song that we've heard now for, for going on a couple of years, though, of, hey, this team's got something, and, and there's this expected potential that they'll live up to, and something happens. You know, we saw last year, you know, the bullpen and, and just moments, of, momentary lapses of concentration that this is the year I think finally Jays fans are just looking at this and think, hey, we, we've seen this, that this opportunity to go on a run, yeah, it's there, but is this the group that's actually mentally going to switch on to do it? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's what everybody's kind of trying to ask, right? You know, it was interesting uh, uh, earlier this week or, or a couple of days ago now, I looked at the Jays' records through 100 games or 62% of the season because of the, the COVID-shortened year. Um, you know, over the last decade, the Jays have had a 496 uh, win-loss percentage through 100 games of the year. This year it's a 550, and they had the exact same record last year at 55 and 45. Now, last year they were 13 games back at the division lead, two up on the wild card. This year at that time they're seven games back in the lead, right in the wild card spot. The run differential, you know, down 19 runs from where they were last year. But, you know, in each of the last two years, the Jays finished with a, a 562 uh, win-loss percentage or better. So, you know, we've seen in the last two years at least here uh, that this is a Jays team that can turn it on down the back half of the stretch of the season. Now, granted, you know, that only accounts for two or three wins, but I think his overall mindset around this team of like, okay, now we're getting to the crunch time of the season. Now is the time where we really start to turn it on and see if it can start to click for some of these guys. Does it, does it feel like they almost need to bring in a player that can help bring in or usher in that kind of that kind of mindset where it's like, hey, yeah, like we're going into the playoffs, need to turn it on here. It feels like George Springer was almost meant to be that guy, and, and he is to an extent, but do they need someone else who is a winner and, and can bring that kind of attitude to the team? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just in theory, you'd always love to be able to add more guys like that at any point in the year, no matter what sport it is, right? Um, you know, you're always looking to add guys who have been there, who have done that, and who have that experience. Part of me, I think, for part of me wonders, at least for this Jays team right now, is, you know, is this the year where they need to rely on their younger guys? And is this the year where the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors and the Bo Bichettes, um, maybe a guy like Dalton Varsho can turn it on here at the end of the year? Is it time for these guys to start to be the ones who really lead the charge and, you know, drive in that those two runs that you really need in the sixth inning or, you know, something along the along those lines where, um, you know, it kind of starts to come from within because at the end of the day, this Jays, you know, prospect system isn't overly deep right now. 
You know, they have one top 100 prospect in Ricky Tiedemann. He's sitting around the 30 mark right now. I think he's going to be a great, uh, you know, great pitcher for a long time in the big leagues. But that's the only guy they have in the top 100. Of course, they have some other good prospects, you know, uh, throughout the system. But I don't know if they have enough to go out there and really, you know, spend a whole ton of assets on additions at this deadline. I mean, I think they'll kind of be nibbling around the edges. You know, last week when I was on, on the show here, I was talking about Cody Bellinger being a potential option for the Jays. I think that one makes a lot of sense. He is a lefty bat, but he's absolutely crushed against left-handed pitchers this season. His offensive numbers are as good as they've been um, since his 2019 MVP season. And that's a guy who, you know, won a, won a championship, right? So, um, you know, that's a name that I think that could, could definitely help out this team, uh, you know, down the stretch. You mentioned Dalton Varsho, um, and I know he's had his offensive struggles. Defensively, he's obviously been great. Are you still comfortable with him in the lineup when it comes to, again, we're, like the focus is now on the stretch and into the playoffs. Do you think they maybe need to target, you mentioned a guy like Cody Bellinger, to be in the lineup, or do you still have confidence in Varsho figuring it out? Well, I, I think I have confidence in Dalton Varsha. I mean, at the end of the day, this guy's still young. He's only 20, 27 years old. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be able to turn it around at some point. Now, the question is, is that is is that this season or is that next season, right? You know, at the end of the day, this is a big trade, a big move for this guy, a move from, you know, Arizona, you know, up to Toronto. Um, and at the end of the day, he's only in his fourth year of, of major league action, right? Like, this is a guy who's still kind of trying to find his way. So then you kind of have to ask the question, well, what do you value more from Dalton Varsho? Um, you know, would you want to see more offense from him or do you truly value, um, you know, his defensive abilities? Because, you know, we've seen even lately in games where, you know, a guy like Whit Merrifield starts out in left field. Well, you know, Whit's getting pulled in the seventh or eighth or the ninth inning for Varsho if he's sitting on the bench, right? So it's very clear that they do value the defensive um, game that Varshall brings, and I think that's something that's really, really important, right? Um, I, I don't know. It, it's it's a tough question, right? It really is because you've seen Varshall have some good games here and there. You know, interestingly enough, where he's really struggled this season is at home. Um, he's only got a 507 OPS at home this season and a 727 on the road. Those are huge differences for a guy like him. So. Um, you know, at the very least, you can kind of sit there and say, well, you know what? He is at least hitting well in certain situations. Um, and in the month of June, he still had a 765 OPS, too. Uh, of course, that's plummeted down to 376 here in July. Um, but I, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I, I think, personally, you've you got to keep Marshall out there as an everyday player or, or, or near being an everyday player just because of how valuable he is defensively. We talk about it in in the context of what this season looks like, and obviously there's expectations this season. But you know things carry over for year season after season. And I almost look at someone like Chapman, who you know there was expectation coming last year, and maybe it didn't happen right away, but much better this season. When you look at Varsho now, a different age profile too. But do you look at that and say, hey, this is a long term investment? As much as there's expectations on what this season looks like, do you look at hey, this is a player that's going to reach the heights that the team expected year after year? Yeah, full stop. I mean, absolutely, right? It's easy to sit here and, and, like, if you go and you look at what's happening in Arizona right now, you know, uh, Gabriel Moreno is an everyday catcher for them right now. Lourdes Goriel Jr., he's batting fourth, fifth in the lineup. 
uh, in Arizona, starting every game out in the outfield. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they've kind of been like, wow, did we, did the Jays make a huge mistake here by taking this swing? But I really think that you're spot on in thinking that this is a real long-term investment for a guy like Marsho. Again, only 26 years old. He's really young. Um, he, he's got a great profile as a hitter. He has shown success in the past. He looked great last year in Arizona, right? So I think with a guy like him, you kind of have to play that long game with him um, and, and hope that the bat uh, eventually turns around, which I think it will. I mean, you know, there was a couple games ago where he was talking after the game and even he himself admitted that, you know, he's one of the unluckiest players in the big leagues this season. So I'm sure it'll turn around for him at some point. Um, hopefully he can find his game down the back half because, you know, in one sense of the term, to have his bat heat up would be, I don't know, you could call it a, its own trade deadline acquisition, so to speak. Right. Uh, you mentioned a couple of names there, like Vladdy and, and Bichette and obviously Varsho as well. Uh, who to you defines what these last uh, part of the season uh, could be for the Jays? Is it is it Vladdy? Is it Varsho? Is it an arm? Uh, who for you is, is someone that's going to either emerge or, or be the primary talking point uh, these last handful of games? I think there's been a lot of attention on what, you know, Vladdy's sort of done this season, right? It's it's kind of funny because you go and you watch him, you watch him in the plate and in the box, and he, he's swinging at pitches that are outside of the zone. And, and, you know, he seems like he's kind of lost out there at times, uh, you know, with the bat in his hand. But he's still, by, you know, league average standards, having a really solid season. And he was voted to the All-Star game after all, won the home run derby, which was really great to see. You know, I think with Vladdy, you know, we almost have to think about the fact that maybe he's not going to be this, like, incredibly elite player uh, like we all thought he was in 2021, right? I mean, there was, there's been so much hype built up around this guy, um, you know, just because of his name and because of what his dad did uh, for so many years. But, you know, maybe we have to think of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. instead of him being, you know, the $30 million franchise player that you build your club around, you know, you maybe just have to think of him as, you know, maybe he's a $20 million elite first baseman, right? Who's still going to be able to go out there and slug really well for your team uh, and that sort of a thing. But I think he's a guy who, you know, the Jays are going to be looking to, to kind of help lead this charge down the back half of the season. And a guy like Bobochet too, I mentioned it before here, you know, I think this is a guy who, um, just gets better and better every single game, every single season. Um, especially when you look at the defensive play from him this year, right? I think that's been a huge, huge turnaround for him in his game as well. So uh, I think it's going to be the young guys who are really going to have to kind of lead the charge. And then, uh, you know, you've got guys like Chris Bassett, the hound on the mound, and, um, you know, some of those other guys there in the rotation will, will also be big pieces as well. How do you feel about uh, what John Schneider has done? Uh, obviously, this is his first full season with the team. Was interim manager last year. Are you are you confident in his uh, in his abilities and his managing of the bullpen uh, to this point? Uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, I think there's been some words that we've seen in his selection of guys coming out of the bullpen at certain times in the game you know, the way he's managed it and all those sorts of things. But again, I think, you know, you look at the addition of a guy like Don Mattingly to the to the coaching staff this year as somebody who can really help um, guide Schneider, you know, this year and in the years to come, you know, he's been great. Like, you look at his win-loss record, 103 wins, 74 losses, 582 win-loss percentage. I mean, you go around the league, that's that's a great number, right? Like, you got to be happy with the results that we've seen in the regular season, at least here, 
Um, you know, I think he's still got a lot to learn, right? He's still a young manager. This is only his first full season in the bigs. Um, and I know earlier this year there was, you know, some fans that were calling for his head and all that sort of a stuff. And I just don't think that that sends the right message either because, again, this is a guy who has built up through this organization for a number of years. Again, with guys like Vladdy and Bo um, going back to their, their days of smaller ball, right? So I think he'll be fine in the long run. You know, just uh, a bit of a learning curve for him, to say the least. I, uh, Zach, great chat. Uh, we'll hopefully uh, connect here in the future. And uh, if people need to grab you, it's uh, at ZJLang Lang on Twitter. That's correct. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, does great work over at Nation Network for Jays Nation and Oilers Nation as well. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott-Wolf on location day over at Tawasson Springs for the Challenger Baseball Jays Care Program. Uh, a lot of conversation with the Jays here today and uh, hopefully a lot of support uh, drummed up for the program as well. While we were talking to Zach, we were talking about NFL training camps there, mm-hmm. uh, but while we were talking to Zach, over in Cincinnati, the Bengals, uh, a non-contact issue for quarterback Joe Burrow. Now he's rolling to the right and he kind of pulls up and he showed up to practice today with a new compression sleeve on his leg. And uh, right now, as uh, head coach Zach Taylor talks, apparently it's uh, being discussed as a calf issue. Calf strain is there what you go. Uh, Zach Taylor said, which uh, Ian Rappaport says is much better than several alternatives. Because it's, it's always scary when it's a non-contact injury. And at training camp specifically, guys get carted off. Yeah. Now, you can get carted off for a multitude of reasons. You physically can't move, precaution, distance to the building, any number of reasons. Jalen Ramsey was carted today. Teams, like on the high-profile players, they're going to be overly cautious. Yes. But uh, early indications are calf straight. Now, again, mm-hmm. non-contact always looks a bit iffy, uh, but he did show up today apparently uh, at practice with the new gear on. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. I, it's a worry for sure. It's a little worrisome. But if it's just a calf strain, I will say this feels like something that by the regular season – Ideally, he's Still. fine, but maybe it's something that comes back throughout the season yeah. as well, and then it's a whole thing. It's first day of training camp. Yeah. If it's like week six, wear and tear of a season, you're like, oh, okay, calf strain. Mm-hmm. But this is like day one. I, I I think I'd almost prefer it day one, though, because then, then you know what you're dealing but with. he's not coming in healthy. I guess. That's like true. That's day, true. Day, day two, sorry. This is day two. Mm-hmm. Day two, you already had to break out the, uh, the compression sleeve and all that? So yesterday, completely off topic, we were talking about compression sleeves on overrated, underrated, because I, okay. I have a softball tournament. I feel weekend. like Reach would say it's overrated. So neither of us have ever like worn one okay. for, for any purpose. For, for any physiotherapy reasons? Yeah, but I would I would have said they're overrated, but this weekend I have to wear one because right. I, I get like bicep pain and it, sure. it's just supposed to help or whatever you're getting old i feel like i'm gonna look like a jerk out there though have you just like worn it just like lounging around the house no be like oh lifting up this remote (laughs) i need that compression sleeve no i haven't done that but i I worry just to get your body used to it that's fair but whenever i see guys wearing compression sleeves Mm -hmm. unless they're joe burrow type athletes i'm like you don't need that and now i'm gonna be that no i I think people definitely need them i I think they're, they're very helpful well, I guess we'll see. I'll report back. Yeah. But it's uh, when it comes to Joe Burrow, I'm sure he needed it, and obviously yeah. he, he did. It didn't work, though. Uh, the, the one that always astounded me, not like the, the tape, 
Because you know we see like football players like tape up their ankles, and you see athletes in general yeah. tape. But you know like, like K tape. Yeah, is, is that what it's called? I don't know what it's called now. What but like what one are you talking? Where I, I guess it's like compression tape, or it's like where they're taping like streaks along the muscle. Yes. So that's K tape. Okay. So I have used that because so what I get essentially is I get it. I talked about it yesterday. I throw the ball and like I get this pain. The more I throw it from my bicep to my forearm. You're like Trey Lance last year. Exactly. He's got arm fatigue. He's a quarterback. How can he get arm fatigue? Yeah. It's it's called bicep tendonitis, I guess. Just sounds like you have bad mechanics. Probably. More than anything. Uh, But I used tape last year, and that really did help. The issue with tape, though, so I'm probably going to use tape and a sleeve this weekend because the tape, you're sweating out there. It kind of rolls up. Um, But I will say it was was – I was of the same mind where I was like, you're I always just looked at it like, on your body. What yeah. are you doing? It's like, how is that helping? But and then you actually it, try it, and it's like, yeah. You have to put it on in a certain way. Of course. But if you put it on correctly, it does help. And the average Joe yeah. or Jill, probably I, not I had to get my uh, my nurse fiance to put it on for me. Yeah. But she put it on correctly. So but when you see athletes do it, like especially like sprinters, mm-hmm. you always see like sprinters have it. But people at that level, I'm just like, I assume you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know? But it, it looks odd. It does. Like how how is? It doesn't look cool either. No, compression sleeves can kind of look cool. Tape does not. <laughs> that's that's what I'm here for. Six fifty, six fifty, Mike G, Josh. If you need a compression sleeve to participate in fairly <laughs> slow pitch, there's zero chance you can kick a forty yard field goal. Facts that's only. Hey, my legs in are the fine. inbox. My legs are fine. Six fifty. It's just my arm, and it's because I got a gun. I got a cannon in the outfield. <laughs> I'm. I'm. This is that's what the inbox fair, is that's for. A, that's a fair. This is what the so. inbox is for. Calling us out for when we're just spewing BS, like Josh saying he can hit a forty-yard field goal. I think I said thirty-five, and I am going to hit a thirty-five-yard field goal. Have you even been practicing? No. Well, that the the point is that I got to go into it with no practice, and then I'm gonna. This claim was made like eight months ago. Oh yeah, I know. I've been training, I guess, just by going to the gym, basically. Um. But so I, so dude. It, the the reason I haven't done it yet is because I'm like, oh, I gotta order a, a tripod or whatever. I've, I'm coming up with a lot of excuses. Maybe like and me just, going to the gym. Like, yeah. Ah, just don't have the right shorts today. It's a little rainy outside. I can't put my phone in my shorts today, so I can't hit the treadmill. It does play a part, though. My uh, look good, feel good at the gym. My 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 Bluetooth headphones are are not charged, so I can't. Yeah. Can't plug in. I don't want the cord while I'm running. Yeah, you're gonna trip on it, and then maybe you're gonna injure yourself. Gonna Full have to wear a compression sleeve <laughs> <laughs> just to go for a run. Ah, <laughs> uh, good stuff in the inbox. Six fifty, six fifty. Well, I did want to touch on this one, but uh, we'll do it. I guess in a bit. We're gonna talk to uh, John Molinero on the other side. But the Women's World Cup, Canada gets a result yesterday, uh, leading up to a big matchup against Australia, looming large now. It's going to be make or break. Sitting in a good position right now. Uh, they get a draw all as well. But, but if uh, they lose, they would need Nigeria to lose to Ireland by two. By two, which is a, it's a tall task. But we'll uh, get into it with uh, John Molinero on the other side here. The People Show live on location today over at Tawasson Springs. Uh, fantastic event. Jay's Care, supporting Challenger Baseball, uh, which uh, we love doing this event every year, helping up thousands of children, uh, youth and adults across Canada participate in Challenger Baseball programs. We're talking about 283 programs across Canada 
uh, helping in schools, community-based organizations uh, throughout the course of the year. You can always get more details. Jump online, jayscaregolf.ca. Go to the Challenger Baseball page. And again, we're talking about uh, adaptive baseball programs run in partnership with Baseball Canada and Little League Canada, helping youth, adults, and children with cognitive and physical disabilities. Uh, programs teaching court life skills uh, tied to baseball as well. All the teamwork, communication, determination, resiliency, all the lessons that sports provides uh, for uh, physical and cognitive disability youth, children, and adults as well. You can get more details, again, uh, online, jayscaregolf.ca. Vic Nazar, Josh Ellie wolf back in a minute here on The People Show, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the People's Show. Coming to you live from the portable Kintech studio today. On location over at Tawasson Springs. Supporting Jay's Care. Supporting Challenger Baseball today. Hanging out in gorgeous weather. The People's Show. Also brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online. D-L-E-A-M-C. Dot com. Bick Nazar and Josh Elliott Wolf uh, will connect with uh, John Molinero in just a moment here. Women's World Cup. Mm-hmm. Undefeated. Four yep. points. Four points. We'll, we'll talk about this with uh, John in just a second. But I, as much as the opening match was a bit of a disappointment, penalty, you want to convert that, you want to be sitting here with six points, very important you didn't start with a negative result. And growing into tournaments is a big thing. Uh, at these World Cups. Yeah. the uh, We mentioned it before the break. Nigeria beating Australia does make it slightly tougher for Canada to advance. Um, but you control your own destiny. Mm-hmm. You just got to go out and beat Australia. That's the thing. It's 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 in your hands. We can talk about what Nigeria did. We can talk about what can happen moving forward. All that sort of stuff. Bottom line, it's in your hands. Yeah. Uh, July 31st. 3 a.m. Vancouver time is when Canada and Australia have to play. So either you're waking up knowing what happened or you're waking up to see what happened. Wake up for the 3 a.m. match. 3 a.m. Do you stay up or wake up for that? I, I would set an alarm. That's fair. July 31st? July 31st. I'm flying that day. But I, I, I'm flying early, so I might just be up for that one in, anyways. Hmm. 3 a.m., let's go. Uh, let's talk to uh, John Molinero, who joins us now uh, to set up what the, 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 the final group stage will look like uh, for the Women's World Cup. John, are, are you going to be staying up for that match, or are you uh, setting an alarm? Well, no, I mean, I'll, I'll be getting up. I mean, it's only going to be <laughs> 6 a.m. here in Toronto, so not Fair. as bad as you guys. Fair, Fair enough. Uh, all right, so coming off of yesterday, uh, you know, the thing I, I – I do kind of always harp on with these tournaments is as much as you want to like look at the favorites and say, Hey, start strong, finish strong. It is important to kind of grow into the tournament as well. You want to peak too early. Canada sitting at four points. Now, are they following that trend of growing into the tournament or are there warning signs through two matches here? It's probably a little bit of from column A and a little bit from column B. I mean, I think, you know, the, 
the result yesterday was, uh, and the, the performance was much improved compared mm-hmm. to Nigeria. And obviously they needed, you know, that win yesterday desperately to put themselves in a strong position. And, you know, you think back to the Tokyo Olympics where they drew their opening game against Japan and then, you know, went on to, to, to the win the gold medal. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is a sort of a positive trajectory that they're following. At the same time, I do think there are some warning signs. I mean, I think, you know, the performances overall have been pretty uneven. I mean, that was probably one of the worst, when speaking about the first half against Ireland, there's probably one of the worst halves of football I've seen them play in quite some time. And then, you know, counterbalance that with, you know, a really fantastic second half where they really woke up thanks to some changes by Bev Friesman. Um, and I think some individual performances have been poor. I don't think we've seen nearly enough from Jordan Heidema or, you know, Jesse Fleming came back from injury in the game yesterday. And I thought she was, you know, okay, she, she, but she really didn't influence things the way she, she normally does. And there are some other things I could point to. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, absolutely. Are they trending a little bit better? Sure. But I do think there are, there are some causes for concern going forward. Uh, Nigeria beats Australia three to two. Uh, Nigeria sitting atop the group at the moment. How uh, is that? Is that concerning for the the prospects of Canada moving on? Like now it's in their hands, but uh, Nigeria obviously wasn't expected to to be where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, I think Nigeria topping the group, albeit on sort of goal difference over Canada, is, is surprising. But I don't think it changes that much for Canada. I mean, they they you know as you said, they control their fate going into the Australia game, right? They have, they can sort of clinch a, a berth in the knockout round with a win or a draw. It changes things in a sense in that, you know, it makes Australia more desperate because they're, they need to win, right? Like they're in a position where they have to collect three points. So, I mean, that might make them a little bit more intense, which, you know, could sort of have some sort of an effect on the game. But, I don't think it really changes anything in terms of the mindset for Canada. I think they're going to, you know, they're, they're like to be in this position where they're very much controlling their fate, knowing, you know, a single point gets them through to the next round. It's what they can control on the match on Monday. And, you know, you, you talk about some of the unevenness that they've shown here through two matches. How much of that unevenness do you look at and, and, and talk about the focal point of what's happening at the front of the pitch? And it, it looks a little toothless uh trying to score goals right now i completely agree i think it's been rather toothless um when you think about you know one of the one of the two goals that they scored was an own goal albeit off a nice play by julia grosso right she sort of her ball whipped into the mm-hmm. box kind of created that so uh it wasn't pure luck but i mean yeah i mean the fact that you know jordan heidema i think has only got like one goal in her last i want to say 16 or 17 appearances for canada um, you know, uh, when, uh, Evelyn Vienne started, uh, yesterday and really looked, uh, rather ineffective in the, you know, the first 45 minutes, uh, you know, it's been goal scoring has been a problem for this sort of team. And it's been one that, you know, myself and others who cover the, the, the national team have been harping on for quite a while. Even if you look back at Tokyo, I mean, that success was sort of built on the, on the strength of the team's defending and goalkeeping. Mm-hmm. It wasn't through, you know, goal scoring. Um, you know, the World Cup is a little bit of a different tournament. It's far more intense. There's more travel involved. You're fight you're you're play you're playing better teams, more teams. You have to you can't afford to sort of just 
coast isn't the right word, but you just can't afford to win it, you know, by defending. You have to go out and score goals and put teams away. And I think that's one of the things that's lacking from the, from this side is, you know, they can sort of come from behind and maybe they can sort of ju- jump out to like a one goal lead. But, you know, can they really sort of put the hammer down, put their foot across a, uh, an opponent's neck and, and sort of slam the door shut? Uh, I, I haven't seen them capable of doing that. And it's, I think, in large part just due to, you know, the, the rather, uh, you know, limp uh, attack. How confident are you in their in their long-term outlook with that being said? Because uh, obviously it doesn't seem like there's going to be this huge influx of scoring from them, but can they can they still make it deep even just relying on, on their defense? Um, I think it can carry them to, to a certain extent, you know, but at, at, at some point they're going to be going up against a team like England mm-hmm. or Sweden or, you know, Spain or whoever – you know, Canada is ranked seventh in the world, and that's very good. But there are, let's be clear, there are clearly better teams at this World Cup than them. And at some point, they're going to have to sort of defeat one of those teams, maybe multiple teams. And I'm just not sure that they're capable of shutting those teams out and playing, you know, the game that it wants to play. I think at some point, they're going to have to, you know, score some goals to get by get by one of those sides. So, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not entirely sure and confident that you know, what worked in Tokyo is going to work necessarily in Australia and New Zealand. You know, we come into this tournament with with expectations because of what happened at the Olympics, but at the same time, you do look at a period of transition like Christine Sinclair's her raise. There's been a change in goal uh, based on what happened at the Olympics. Now, does that frame our expectations differently, or is it still, hey, this is the standard of Canadian soccer now, and this is what has to be achieved? Yeah, again, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, the, the Olympic success definitely raised the expectations, right? It was like, okay, you know, this team can compete against the best nations in the world. It defeated the United States. It defeated um, Brazil. It defeated Sweden. These are not sort of, you know, uh, minnow nations. These are among the top nations in the world. And so obviously, you know, the expectations were, were raised, and, and I think quite rightly so, and we should expect uh, you know, the Canadian women to sort of produce uh, after, you know, what they achieved in Tokyo. At the same time, you know, we can't sort of overlook the fact that Christine Sinclair is 40 years old. She's not the same player that she once was. There has been a little bit of turnover in the team. Not much, but a little bit. Uh, you know, the absence of Stephanie Labbe with her retirement, that's pretty significant. And again, I, I think the World Cup is just a different tournament. It is, it's one thing to have Olympic success. It's quite another to do it at the World Cup. The World Cup is a completely different sort of animal because the standards are much higher. The quality of opponents are much higher. The travel is more intense. Everything is just amplified. It's a bigger tournament. I mean, there's 32 nations in this sort of competition, which is what, um, you know, more than twice of what it was at the Olympics. So it's, you know, the World Cup is sort of its own thing that is completely separate than the Olympics. It's much higher. And so, you know, I think, you know, Canada has to raise it, raise its game. And again, what might have worked in the Olympics might not work here. And so I think people have to, they can't necessarily look at the Olympic success and say, okay, well, great. They won gold in Tokyo. So that they're going to win, they're going to go to the world cup and win it all. No, it's a completely different tournament and they have to sort of approach it differently. You mentioned it's, it's sort of a transition phase. Uh, they're admittedly massive shoes to fill, but are, are, they still kind of waiting for someone to 
kind of take over the role of Christine Sinclair and, and kind of lead the team? I think, uh, you know, in terms of leadership, I don't think the shoes necessarily need to be filled because I think someone like Jesse Fleming, who even at her young age, 24 mm-hmm. or 25, I think she's risen to the point where, you know, she's, she's, she's thought of as a team leader and as a captain. I mean, she wore the captain's armband the other day uh, while Sinclair was on the bench. So I don't think there's necessarily a leadership or even an experience void uh, that has to be overcome, you know, when we're looking about the long-term future with, you know, without Sinclair. I do think there's a void in terms of who is going to be the next great Canadian goal scorer, who is going to be that person who's going to be the go-to number nine and go-to forward who can be the main reference point in attack for Canada. I haven't seen any of that. I mean, I, I think Adriana Leon, who scored the other day, scored yesterday, talented player, but is she the one who is going to sort of be the go-to uh, sort of attacking player that you pin your hopes on? Um, I don't necessarily see that, and I don't necessarily see anyone else on Canada, you know, sort of raising to that status. So I think that's something that has to be has to be sort of uh, you know addressed going forward. Uh, John, let's put you on the spot. Then, uh, what does it uh, look like uh, for the group once it's concluded? Well, I, I think Canada will get through. I think they'll get the result they need on uh, Monday in Melbourne against Australia. Uh, whether that's sort of winning, the, mm-hmm. whether that means winning the group or not, I mean, I'm not exactly sure because I think um, you know Nigeria is going to be playing. Nigeria is in a good spot too, right? They're on four points and they're playing an Irish side that's already been eliminated from contention. So you have to like their chances of winning the group. I think if Canada, if Canada finishes second, then they're likely going to play England in the round of 16. And I think that's a very tough matchup for, for, for Canada because England is the number four ranked team in the world. They're the defending European champions and they're clearly one of the favorites to win this tournament. So, um, I'm not saying it's not a winnable game, but I'm saying that's going to be a really tough uh, match that's going to grind a lot out of Canada. So, um, you know, if they can somehow get over England in that game, then you have to like their chances on going on a really deep run in the competition. Uh, you can read his stuff on the Women's World Cup at sportsnet.ca. Follow him on Twitter as well, John Molinero. Uh, we appreciate it. No problem, guys. Anytime. Uh, it's John Molinero joining us here again. Writes for TFC Republic uh, and doing great stuff uh, over at Sportsnet.ca for the Women's World Cup. Bick Nazar, Josh Elliott, Wolf. Uh, just saw Dan Riccio come by the booth. Didn't want to talk to us. No, purposely avoided us. Saw we were talking to someone on the phone. And was yeah, like, now's the time I'm going to drive by. Yeah, timed it perfectly. It's a veteran move, though. I understand. Coward. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Love that guy. Love that guy, Dan Riccio. Looking sharp. He said he was actually shooting decent. Okay. He was like, hey, you uh, Getting He's, back uh, on track. I will say, lately. Back uh, on track. I've got the inside source on Dan Riccio's golfing skills. Yeah. And lately, he's been uh, he's been turning it around. To start the year, he was a mess. But he's uh, he's coming back into form. He's like Vladdy season? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, What's going on with... I was, I was trying to do a Guerrero Riccio changeover. Garicio. Yeah, Garicio. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. And then he hit a home run derby, and he's like, "Now nah, I'm good again. This is fine." That's uh, what Reach needed—just a session at the range. Yeah. Just like I actually hit some bombs today. Not working on anything. Just, just, just trying to launch hit far. it. Yeah. yeah. And now he's back. 
That does help sometimes. I will say uh, I, I help fix my drive by right. just being like, I'm just going to hit it real hard. Sure. And it, it exhaust all my energy. It's helped. Try just put okay. everything out of my mind. And exactly. Just see, play for distance. Yeah. Uh, the last thing we need is Dan Riccio coming back to office shooting like an 82. Oh, it's like, my oh, goodness. He'd be in some. Boys, I'm back. Yeah. It's the last thing we need. Be all he would talk about. Feeling 10 inches taller. Too much. It's too much. <laughs> I can't imagine that world. Uh, but we're here uh, supporting uh, Jay's Care and Challenger Baseball over at Tawasson Springs. Bruff is playing too. But Bruff just like drove right by. He's like, I'm shooting great. He, he was like, you know when you're on a heater at a blackjack table? It's like you don't bother anyone. Yeah. Bruff was like, stopped by, waved, carried on. Yeah. It's like that guy's having a great round. Yeah. We don't even need to discuss it. Reach stopped for food and everything. That's when you could tell it's an okay round. Yeah. Bruff was locked in. Didn't even leave the cart. No. People, like, left him alone. It's like, he might be throwing a perfect game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like a perfect game in the seventh, eighth inning. You're not talking to the pitcher. No. Well, we'll find out what Bruff round was later today. But uh, it, it seemed like he was shooting pretty pretty steady. Uh, we want to catch up on the inbox, though. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, someone did text in earlier as we were talking about the AFC East. Miami Dolphins, are they going to be pretenders again this season? Shots fired at uh, again. They had a decent season last year. It, it was more about, like, they kind of took it by storm. Yeah. They, they made high-profile trades. They get in Tyreek Hill. They look flashy. Ultimately, you know, they're still somewhere in the range of, like, seventh, eighth best in the AFC last season. I still think they're going to be around there this year, but too. But this year, yeah. I, I feel like they're like the annoying version, like the. I think when we talk about like plucky teams, we always look at defensive teams. Mm-hmm. I just feel like they're an annoying offensive team. That if you're not on it one day, they are just going to run right past you and just chalk up touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, and it's just like, well, we couldn't keep up with them today. Yeah. That's pretty annoying. We just aren't physically faster, but. Also, when you get to the playoffs, you're never going to encounter a team that's not locked in, you know? Sure. But, but over the course season, of the season, sure. yeah. yeah. Yeah, regular season, sure. I still, like like many people, have my questions about Tua. Mm-hmm. But I know he's at least passable enough that he can run that offense. And the bigger question, I guess, is if he's going to be healthy all year. And that's, that's really hard to know with the concussion history. But if he does stay healthy... I do think they're going to be that that plucky underdog team again. But they won nine last year. So it's like, can you really be an underdog when you're a nine-win team and now there's expectation? Now, mind you, they were negative point differential. New England had a better point differential than them. We don't talk about them like, oh, what a expectations of making the playoffs. Like, Mac Jones, is he even going to be the quarterback next year? Put Bailey Zappi in. Sure, but there's a one-win difference between the two teams. A 20-point difference between the two teams. Yeah, with the team that had one less win. Yeah. A better point differential. And then, we haven't even talked about the New York Jets in this. They're they're not going to. Throw in Aaron Rodgers. No. They are not. To me, they're still. Is New this? York Jets are the last. They're last in the AFC East this The year. AFC just, like, blows my mind every time I look at it. Because you can only fit seven teams in. Yeah. And, again, I do this exercise all the time. Just pick the quarterbacks. Good luck ranking the quarterbacks in the AFC. Like, you know Mahomes is one. Okay? Yeah, Allen's 
Well, and then you get to the Alan Burroughs conversation. Right? That, that's Burrow. a fun conversation on its own. Yeah. By the way, there's also an MVP in this conference that nobody really talks about anymore in Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Throw Ooh. in the next one in a Trevor Lawrence. Throw in Anthony uh, Richardson, I Anthony guess. Anthony Richardson. Justin Herbert. Herbert. Jimmy G. Russell Wilson. Those are now throw in C.J. Stroud. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill just kind of hangs around getting jobs. And can all he six- pick it? Can he pick it? Get pumped? Go! Hey, they they won nine games last year. Yeah, Mike Tomlin. It's it's the it's the Pittsburgh thing, and then yeah, throw in a Tua, Aaron Rodgers. How are you supposed to fit seven quarterbacks and seven teams into these playoffs? And Deshaun Watson was the one we forgot. Yeah, I I do feel like it's going to be a very similar playoff picture to last year. Just because, like... That's bold. Well, in, in what way? Like, the Bills aren't... They're going to make it. Mm-hmm. The Bengals are going to make it. I think the Jags are still winning that division. And... That's you, the one I could look at and say it could flip on its head. You, who do you think's winning? Tennessee? Indy? It's just like so many things kind of went right for Jacksonville. Yeah, I still don't I just know trust if they... Trevor Lawrence and... and that's Peterson. the thing. Like, you, you pick coaches, you pick... Uh, QBs, you'll do fine in the exercise. I do wonder if the Colts are a bit more stable this year. Now they haven't won the division in forever. I feel like the yeah. I feel like the Colts are all the constant sexy underdog team, but they haven't won that division. I think since 2014, 2015. So it's been a while, and there's just some expected grace that we extend towards Indianapolis. Maybe it's the 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 Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck residue still kind of. Hu- Hovering over that. They just feel like a team that should be good. Yeah. And Tennessee is always a team where you're just like, it's not going to work. And then there they are, like seven, eight wins. And yeah. They're that plucky underdog team. That's fair. I, I will say I think the Colts, it's just it's too much to make up. Like mm-hmm. They were 4-12-1 and one last year. Yeah, Maybe. but the Jaguars, like. They were 9-8 and eight last year. They were the nine wins. I, I don't know. I think like they're going to be. Barely cresting. I still think they're going to be a 9-10 win team this year. The offensive line. I just I just worry. I guess. It didn't improve. But to me, like I still think they they have the clearest road to winning that division. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at the playoff picture, I just don't see much changing. And like for me personally, I'm not really sold on the Jets. Um, just to push this out, uh, last year, Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Jaguars were your division winners. Chargers, Ravens, Dolphins all make the playoffs. Yeah. So you're saying seven for seven? Now, historically – that's probably not going. Historically, to it's usually two teams in each conference go out, two teams go in. Who are you betting on to go out? If I was betting on one team or two teams to go out, like Miami's the obvious one. Miami, and I would probably put the Ravens in there. Wow! But like, I'm huge on Lamar. I want Lamar to succeed. Yeah. I just the other five teams I just think are are better. Well, maybe not. Like, I don't think the Jaguars are better. Sure. But they get the division win. But, right? Like the Ravens kind of had the hell season. It's like they, they move off of Greg Roman. Yeah. And it's like, finally, it looks like they're going to have some real improvements here. But but do you think the, the Bengals are going to fall out? Like, I, I don't see that yeah, happening. I don't know. Uh, before we uh, go to break, though, we get a chance to uh, speak to one of the many people that are coming by our booth today over at uh, Tawasson Springs, supporting Jay's Care and Challenger Baseball. And uh, let's get a chance to talk to our good friend, Chris Heb now. From the BCHL, CEO. How you doing, Vic? I'm doing well. How are you? Not bad. Are you shooting well? God, it's awful out there. <laughs> <laughs> the course is brilliant. It's yeah, a great day. Yeah, it's, it's, but uh, it's you're not around? raining. <laughs> you're around not so great? No, no, it's not very good. 
Uh, but it's for a fantastic cause to have you out here uh, today. Uh, so how are uh, things going for the preparations for the upcoming season? Pretty good. A lot of recruiting going on. Mm-hmm. As, as many of you know, we've got the opportunity to recruit uh, on a wider basis and mm-hmm. uh, even worldwide now, which is uh, something that our coaches are really excited about. And having uh, the opportunity to get uh, two Europeans on a team is something the BCHL's never had. And also being able to recruit outside of uh, outside of our province for 16- to 17-year-olds is great too. How much do you think that's going to help the, the growth of the league moving forward? We think it's – I think our league – has had its challenges at the third and fourth line level. So I think what it's going to do is it's going to put more good players on our teams. And and that's going to make the league better because instead of having, you know, two really good first first and second lines, it's going to make it a lot deeper. The whole genesis of this conversation of, of breaking off of Hockey Canada, like when did that start and – because I can't imagine it was just a reflex of the need. You'd be like, oh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do this. Um, was this kind of a vision? I know we've talked before about the, the future of the league and, and the pandemic. What does that change? Like, how long has this been an idea for? So uh, I've been around for five years, mm-hmm. and this was on the table before I got here. Yeah. It's been a long, arduous process to get us to the point where y- you would do something as radical as as leave the federation but uh we tried for five years to have a conversation about the modernization of junior hockey in our country and especially how it relates to junior a and uh and we couldn't get to first base there's just a a wall there and maybe some of it was the distraction associated with the problems that hockey canada has but at the end of the day um we can't wait for all of those things to get fixed before we address what we think is a fundamental issue that's really uh, been, a, 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 in a way, against the BCHL more than any league in Canada. So five, ten years from now, like, what's the what's the vision? Where do you see the league? In what ways is it growing? Well. What we've always said is we think there should be two paths that get supported in Canada. Obviously, major, junior, and it's a, a wonderful path. Um, but a lot of kids today want to go to college. Mm-hmm. They, they want to use their hockey skills to get scholarships, and there's no question that we've been the best in junior A at doing that. Uh, you know, close to half of our league get college commitments every year, which is, you know, more than all of the other junior A leagues in Canada combined. So... Uh, what I'd like to see is someday every one of our players gets a college commitment. That happens in the U.S. Hockey League, and it's something that we think is a wonderful goal to get these kids an education through their hockey skills. There's a lot of excitement for Canucks fans. Uh, they, they go and draft Tom Willander, and they're going to be able to see him go straight to the NCAA and say, hey, we're, we're going to have that touch point. We don't have to wake up at 4 a.m. to watch him play overseas. When you talk to European players and the idea of getting the European players, how much of that influences have of, hey, if you want to go play NCAA, all those opportunities are there? Well, more and more Europeans are understanding the college route. Mm-hmm. There, there used to be really only one way for them to get to the NHL. They could either stay in their home country or come or play major junior, but college is now an opportunity for them and something that they see as a trend. Uh, I mean, 33% of the NHL now is players that have come through college. So for a European, a Canadian, it, do, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, is that a path? And is it a path that's supported by the NHL? And it clearly is. 
you ask NHL coaches, uh-huh. hey, I really like getting kids out of college because I know who they are. They've had three years of, of playing in a, in a system, and, and I've, I've been able to see them develop as men. Is, is that number, like I, I'm trying to think, you know, 25 years ago, what, what that 33% would be? I imagine it's closer to 12 15%, and the growth rate is probably uh, remarkable over the past 8 to 10 years. Vic, when I left broadcasting to go into – You were the smart one, right? <laughs> <laughs> to go into sports when I was with the Canucks back in 1994 – I believe it was around 8%. Mm-hmm. And when you saw somebody out on the ice that had come through college, the announcers would call that out. Yeah. Hey, there's Bill McCall. You know, he came through. It's not the case anymore. It's uh, it's the trend, and, and we, we're not ignoring it. So that partnership uh, with the NCAA, like, like what does that look like again for, just for the next 5, 10 years? Um, the growth of the league, does it go hand-in-hand hand with the growth of the NCAA? Well, I think the NCAA sees our league as a major resource for getting players that want to go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year the stat is slightly under 25% of the Division One rosters had come through the BCHL. This is something people just don't understand, how well our league has done and how proud we should be of it. At the end of the day, I think that's going to be our job to make it 30% or 40% because – the BCHL is a is a place where the NCAA sees uh, the the next players on on its roster, and uh, sure they get them from other places too. But we should be proud of uh, of the the work that we've done to get these kids college commitments. I know when I always talk to you, you're you're proud of a couple of things: the the education path, and also like the 17 owners that you got, and just how uh, strong the league is. And so uh, the opportunity, you guys. I know a lot of people are going to be watching uh, here moving forward. It's uh, it's an exciting time for the BCHL. Yeah, we're looking forward to the next year. And, and you know, the, the message from, from us is it's not going to have a detrimental effect on BC kids. We still have exactly the same minimums that we had before we left Hockey Canada as a minimum of five BC kids per team. And uh, I think the league's going to get better. So those five BC kids are going to be playing a better league. And that's going to help them develop. Uh, excited to see what happens uh, this upcoming season and moving forward with the BCHL. Uh, Chris Hebb joining us uh, here at Tableside. Appreciate it. All right, guys. That's uh, Chris Hebb joining us from the BCHL. We'll go to break here back in a minute here on the People's Show on Sportsnet 650.